0: You know, uh, if you haven't been told, uh, we're living in very historic times. Uh, I miss living in the section of history that was going to be the boring chapters in the history books. I was born in one of those eras, and I got used to it. Uh, I'm telling you, when, when people read history books, they're going to skip over the 90s. Like, what happened? Waco? That's about it. And you just, phew, right past Waco. That's all we've got to offer. Um, it was... Uh, it's definitely we're seeing now people mean by simpler times. Uh, and so, but here we go, it's been, uh, it's been difficult and it continues to grow and it leaves us thinking, you know, what comes next? I know for me, I filled up my car this week and they asked if I want a receipt and I said, no, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to know what it was. I thought about going and donating a kidney to offset the cost of the tank I just filled. Um, it is unpredictable. Things are uh, difficult. And it kind of leaves us with the sense of, geez, what happens next? You just keep getting smacked in the head. You kind of figure something else will happen. Something's going to come along. Uh, and the, the stuff going on in Europe and what we're feeling in our own economy, these are this, it is a really difficult time. And you can spend just a little bit of time scrolling on social media and, and you see people reacting and responding to this anxiety and the stuff they share and the way that they feel, the way they express themselves, um, it is a difficult time. And there is a lot to dwell on. And of course, yes, people lived in much worse times. I would pick now over the late 30s and early 40s any day. Um, I'd pick now over the eras of World War I and the Spanish flu, which makes COVID look like junior varsity. Um, there, it is a difficult time, and it's true things have been difficult before. But we're seeing what it feels like to come out of relative stability into uh, objective difficulty. And when stability is shaken, we find out something very important about ourselves. What is the thing we've been hanging on to for stability? Jesus. Yeah. For some people, uh, we find out that it really isn't. Uh, Things we're shaking and what we find our hands on, what we're hanging on to are very different things. But what we find, though, is that even in the most difficult times, what gets highlighted is whether it is good times or hard times, the same hope is the true hope. And so whether we hoped in it when things were great or not, in darkness, only a few things are going to shine anymore, and eventually one thing begins to shine. God promises to be a light to his people, even in dark times, even when all other lights go out, that he will be, he will be a light to us. I remember reading uh, in 1993, I guess I'm saying so the 90s did have history because it's the only historical story I'm telling today. Uh, in 1993, there was the, uh, the bombing at the World Trade Center, and there was a group of people that were down below... Uh, Because the World Trade Center goes down almost one-third as deep as it goes high. They have very deep foundations. And so there's people down below in the basement setting. And when the bombs went off, it knocked out all the power. And this is 93, no cell phones. So it goes pitch black and there's no way to illuminate the room. And there's a security guard in there who had no flashlight which to me greatly aggravates what I've learned about security guards in movies. They're supposed to have the big baseball bat-sized light, right? That's in every movie. I guess my question is, if you don't have a great big flashlight, are you really a security guard? <laughs> and uh, the story gets interesting because at that point, it was the, it, right about then is when Timex released a series of watches with a new feature they called Indiglow. Into glow is where you can press the crown into the watch, and the face will light up so you could tell time in the dark. And the security guard happened to have just bought one of those watches. And so he raised his arm up, and he pressed the button. He said, can everybody see this? And they said, yes. And they watched, and they followed the light on his tiny watch as he led them out of the building that he knows so well as security guard. And you read these accounts. And Timex loved that story, by the way. That's the reason why Indiglow is now on every single Timex timepiece they sell. Uh, They love the story, and there's people that talk about how much peace they felt when suddenly there was something to look at, and there was a light, and there was a way out, and something was going to lead them through. We have in our lives a light that is so much superior and so much greater than a stupid Timex timepiece that happens to have Indiglow. Our Blessed Assurance, which is our series, that we have a two-week series where we're going to be going on, Blessed Assurance. Our Blessed Assurance is that our hope is ever-present and shines and is so specifically like a spotlight in darkness. Always there in the light, it certainly is, but, in, but when things are going well, we can hang on to other things, counterfeit things, things that aren't as steady as the light that is God's. So I want to read a, we're going to read a passage today. We're going to talk about it. We'll close in some prayer, but we're going to jump in into John 10. Jesus says uh, to the Pharisees, he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs, climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them all out, or brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. Then they will, uh, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, "Very truly I tell you." I am the gate of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life, or that they may have life, and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd and does not know the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it is scattered. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Uh, A quick word on uh, the sheep in the Bible is that it's an analogy they use all the time and we use all the time and we use it in a very different way. And there isn't any correlation. We say phrases like, uh, don't be a sheep. Sheep, uh, don't think for themselves. Think for yourself. Uh, And it's important to understand with scripture, sheep do not represent naive humanity. Sheep represent all humanity. They represent everyone. Uh, That is how we are meant to see them. You can't choose to be a sheep or someone else. It's an analogy of all mankind that some have bad shepherds, some have no shepherds, and some have good shepherds, and even the good shepherd. So I guess it's important to understand that as we move forward. So if anything about this saying, hey, let's all go be sheep, bothers you, you now know I don't mean it in the way that we usually mean it. Um, Jesus is talking about being the gate. And this is actually something that's interesting. It was common practice. I have a picture to show you. Let's bring that up. This is, uh, that's very beautiful. That's not the picture. though. should be at the end of the sermon. Is it not there? Really? Everyone look at the screen and pretend you see a sheet pen. <laughs> uh, we'll just go back uh, to the main cover slide. Um, it's, they. They had these communal sheep pens that would have sort of stables at one end, and it was stone walls that would come around, vines on top, and there was actually typically no gate. And so the sheep would go in, and multiple shepherds would use it. They'd put their sheep in at night, and they'd put them in if predators were heavy in the area. And what they would do is that a shepherd would typically sleep inside the gateway uh, so the sheep couldn't get out. And uh, I actually used this method in youth ministry because we had kids that snuck out one time, and ever since then, I put my bed right in front of the doorway. Like, we're not gonna lock the door. We actually legally can't lock them in. But I did that because if they were gonna get out, they had to wake me up. Uh, And so that was my security protocol. I guess that's when I found out I was truly called to be a shepherd. (laughs) What's funny is that uh, they did it to keep predators out. I did it to keep the sheep in. Um, so they would lay there, uh, and these walls were thick and made of stone, so one could climb over them, but it, and it was the only way to get in because if you were going to go in through the front, either a thief or a predator, you were going to have to walk over a shepherd. Uh, multiple flocks would share these, as I said, and they would all get packed in. And so when they would call them out, uh, each shepherd would need to be able to separate his sheep from all the others that were feeding and sleeping beside each other. And they would have these uh, unique calls, and in fact, in the Middle East, this is still a primary way that they shepherd. In the West, we shepherd with uh, dogs; that's the main way we do it. But in the East, they didn't use dogs, and so they would do the calls themselves. And they would uh, certain calls and certain sounds the sheep would recognize them. I was reading a story about uh, someone who was in the Middle East, and there was some there was a shepherd going across the field or across the street. All the cars stopped. It's very loud and he had to get a sheep across the street, and he convinced them to do it because by singing his little songs and making sounds and calling out to each one that was getting nervous, he could calm them down and just calmly drive them across the busy thoroughway. And what's interesting is that the sheep sleep at night, and they sleep at peace, in the same way we see in Psalms 23, the sheep that lies down in peace because of the confidence they had in the shepherd that was the gate. And they would go to sleep that night knowing that they were uh, secure because of the presence of the shepherd. Not by some distant, weird analogy, but this is literally how they would feel. The presence of the shepherd, his voice, his singing, the names that he would call out to them, actually causes the animals of sheep to calm down and to obey and to do something reasonable. The gate gives peace. In the same way gates always do. Gates are there that, uh, that in the worst of times, they provide protection. And in the best of times, they at least provide a sense of peace of, we have a gate. It brings comfort. It's the thing that we trust in, among the things at least we trust in. Trouble falls on uh, us. We get comforted knowing that this thing keeps us safe, that there is this gate holder for sheep, it was their shepherd, and for us, it can be many things. What do you think of at night when, you're, when you can't sleep? What is it that brings you peace when you feel the worry and the things you read in the news? Are you certain that Putin will never attack here because of the United States' immense nuclear arsenal? Because the fact is, is that uh, we're warned about trusting, trusting in chariots. Uh, Psalms 20 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. And are you certain you're not going to lose your home in this financial crisis because of your excellent financial planning? Paul told Timothy to warn the people in his church. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. Our confidence has to be Jesus how we answer things of why why are things going to be all right in the end, how are they going to turn out, there is a clear answer that the guardian is powerful, the one that we can trust in. God, Christ as the gate, is so remarkable and so excellent at defense and covering our needs and watching out for us that he is the only gate we can trust in who is destined to make all gates obsolete. Revelation, And in Revelation, John has a vision of the end of all things when Christ is come into his inheritance, when he's reigning on the earth after the resurrection, and he sees this city that Christ will reign out of called New Jerusalem. And in his vision, he sees this. On that day, the gates of New Jerusalem will, be, will never be shut, for there will be no night. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Christ is so powerful and so comprehensively strong and able to protect us that in the end, there will come a time that there will never need to be gates and even his own city will never shut them. There will never be night. There will never be terror. There will never be hardship. And not just because of some magic spell, but because he is capable of subduing and destroying and defending uh, his people and getting rid of what threatens them. Our confidence has to be this. Come what may, we know who we belong to. He is power. The shepherd can do what sheep cannot. As shepherd, David slayed a lion and a bear to defend his sheep. As shepherd of Israel, he slayed someone who was so immensely large, the King James Version translates his title as giant, the greatest champion that anyone could bring forward. The fact is, is we sometimes get so stuck and it's almost like we forget who's protecting us that we feel like it's sheep versus predator. It is not sheep versus predator. It is shepherd versus predator. It was not, you take a sheep and a lion, the sheep will lose every single time. But a sheep versus David or a lion versus David went a very different way. Goliath could have beaten anybody in that army. You have one person who trusts God to make him strong, and it became not just Goliath versus David, it was Goliath versus David's shepherd. It is power. The power of God goes before his people, and he upholds his promise. His people and his church will not be stamped out, they will not fail in the same way that it is just completely solidified and set into eternity that, he will, uh, that Christ will set up a time when there will be no need for defense, we have just as sure a destiny that we will succeed, that God has chosen his church, it has a purpose, and we can count on him guarding us, guiding us, and leading us forward. His power goes before his people, goes before our church, it goes before you. It leads us. And more secure than all of these, our shepherd guards us, and our assurance in him is his love, that he is the good shepherd. You'll notice uh, he says in verse 11 that he says, I am the good shepherd. And what's interesting is after he goes on this discourse, this infuriates the Pharisees. In fact, they say this time he's demon-possessed, and he didn't even do a miracle. Like, Isn't that weird? He just said stuff, and he's demon-possessed. And it's because they pick up on something that, unless we know our Bibles very well, we don't understand entirely what Jesus is saying. Jesus was very uh, guarded and didn't come right out and often say who he was and his divinity, that he is the son of God, he is creator. But the good shepherd goes back to Ezekiel 34. The good shepherd of Israel is God. To say he is the good shepherd is to publicly declare that he is the Messiah and that he is God. And that's why they call him demon-possessed. That as good shepherd, he is both good, but as God, capable of acting. Christ has authority not just to lead us personally, but to lead us through death and into eternity, in this present life and on forever. He is good, and he is compassionate. And he says that he knows his sheep by name. Knows you by name. What is in a name? You know, we have names and, uh, you know, it's weird. I feel like, don't you guys think Sam is a well-known name? Everybody knows that. I swear I've met like this many in my life. I don't know how my name is so uncommon. I meet another Sam and it's a huge thing. But we have these names and I would like to think that uh, God had some prophetic hand in all of our names, my name and its meaning, your name and its meaning, uh, But in this time, there was a deep-held belief that in the name of something was the essence of what that thing was. Jews believed this. In fact, the world over believed this, that in the name of a thing, in its nature was the very essence of what it was. And there was a common phrase, I know them by name, by name, by name. And that phrase, it meant something very specific. People would say that at this time to say, I know them to the core of them, to the very essence of them. For Jesus to say that he knows his sheep by name is that he means he knows them completely like a father knows his kids. Like someone would come up to him and say, wow, are, are all these yours? And he would say, yes, they sure are. And be able to list off each and every person's name, knowing what they're up to, what their concerns are, the personality quirks and the things he finds endearing, cute and special. This phrase expresses a deep individual love for us. When hardship happens to people you don't know, it can bother you a little bit, but when it happens to people you do know, it bothers you a lot. And if it happens to family, it feels like it happens to you. And good things can happen to other people and it's a nifty story, but there's times when good things happen to people we love and it is something that makes us completely ecstatic. In the same way, God has sold out on you the one that guides you, knows you to the core of who you are, and shepherds you as the object of his love. Knowing you by name. When it comes to fearing what's going on and, and, and the things that we are worried about, how often do we stop and realize that do we, are we living and believing and going through life knowing that I am accounted for, that my name is known, and that there are promises that me and my group that belong to him are not going to fail. I guess the biggest question that it all comes down to is what are we looking at in these present times? What is the thing that we're focusing on, like the watch in the World Trade Center? Let's take a lesson from Revelation for a moment. The book of Revelation, like the scary book of the Bible, right? We often look at Revelation as this scary book that is about the end times and it's about the rise of the Antichrist. But that is not at all what the book was intended to be read as, what it was written as, or what it was for. It was, like all apocalyptic literature, it's intended to encourage people facing incredibly difficult times. You look at Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, it is at a time when the kingdoms of men have risen up and it seems like they're in charge. It seems like God's people have been routed out and that things are over. And these writings, all of them, including Revelation, are meant to be an encouragement of the inevitable victory of the kingdom of God. At one time, think of this, Jesus walked the the courts of the temple in Jerusalem. And in many ways of thinking about it, that temple was built for him. He is God. He is the heir of all of these things, and he walks in their presence. And these are people who shudder when they read stories like when when the glory of God filled the temple at its first construction. Or they weep when they hear about the temple that was being rebuilt after the Babylonians destroyed it because they were just hoping God would return his presence. And this is the moment they'd been waiting for. I mean, the people that witnessed Jesus in the temple saw something that nobody else saw. And they lived in a moment that was so special. And they did not recognize it. In that place, he was condemned and called a hypocrite. He was the heir of all things, and yet people rejected him. In like fashion, the, the church and, and all of us were co-heirs with him. There's a stamp of of there is going to be an inheritance and in things we take from this creation that we are in God and we are God's people and we are not recognized for it. Rejected is. And Jesus, though he was king of the universe, was treated like a fugitive. And in times when apocalyptic literature is written, these heirs of the universe, God's church, God's people, his gathering, are also being treated like no more than common criminals. Revelation is not revealing the end. That's not what the word revelation means. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist and humanity's last plot to push off the heir of all things. Revelation is the revealing of Jesus to humanity, to where all questions are over. Who is is Jesus? Who reigns and, and who is going to reign forever? There will be no more question. The whole thing boils down to that phrase. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It is all about him. And yet we spend so much time talking about and debating what is the mark of the beast? Who is the beast? And when is the Antichrist system going to rise up? We worry about the mark of the beast in chapter 13 and never talk about the mark of the lamb in chapter 7. Did you know that the beast and everything that the beast does is a counterfeit of the lamb? It's a counterfeit of Jesus. That is in the same way that uh, Jesus and the Father are one. The Antichrist and the dragon, who is Satan, are one. In the same way, Jesus raises from the dead as the sign of who he is to reign and the divine power that's within him. So the beast is going to be struck with a mortal wound and miraculously recover. Heaven comes down in chapter 7 and puts a mark and a seal on those that belong to the Lord. And in chapter 13, the beast does the same with his. The beast wants to steal everything because the heir of all things is coming and he has the right, he has the nature, the properties, everything about him to inherit all things and he is coming into his inheritance. And so if there's a counterfeit person, they are trying to take that throne and take that place. And what we do is the way that we worry about the mark of the beast is we watch the beast do his work in our very eyes, that he steals the book of Revelation from us and that the marks in it become about him and not the mark of the Lord. It is about Jesus. We're supposed to be fixed on him, knowing in full confidence before we ever get to chapter 13, that in chapter 7 we were marked and sealed as belonging to God. We let the panic of dodging the mark make us lose our wonder and awe and security that we received a very different mark. So let this be a lesson. We belong to Jesus. We belong to him. In times of crisis, and times of fear, we belong to him. Revelation seems scary. We read about death. We read about pestilence. And we're supposed to remember as we go through it, who do we belong to? These times are difficult, and we have things we can worry about, but there is one thing that should be on our mind before we think about what threatens us. We think about what has secured us and what is our assurance. Knowing that I am marked, he knows my name, and I am his. Healthy sheep are those with a really good shepherd, and it's those that don't run away, who don't go and try to find their own hiding when trouble comes, but they go and they stay close to the shepherd. In in, uh, Psalms 23, it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we miss that because we didn't shepherd in that era, but the rod was used as the sheep would come in. He would go over their backs, counting each one. And this is sort of the context of Jesus saying he would leave the 99 to go for the one because he counts them and he knows who's missing. They would run over their backs, and they would search them and and look over them to see if they would jump from a tick or move from a sore or from a cut, and they would inspect every sheep as they come in, knowing them, counting them, and caring for them. In these stressful times, what we simply need is a shepherd, the superior light, the thing to go after of knowing of, I finally have a waypoint. I know what I can trust in. I know who I follow. We just need a shepherd. It has been a stressful time. But is it time that maybe after stressful weeks, we just need a week where we spend particularly close time with God? Or we just stick around the shepherd maybe a little closer? Is this your week coming up to where things change a little bit as to how we get around the Lord and let him take care of us, run his rod over us, check us, count us, remind us that he knows our name? that we would begin to feel uh, a a turning away as this light goes out and that light goes out and this one, that we would realize that one is staying on. The Lord is still there. His hope is still here. Then we take a break from everything else, that life maybe looks a little different for a week. Maybe your prayer looks a little different, a little longer, a little bit more personal. Maybe it's a little bit more alone time. Maybe it's praying with other people. Just a simpler, quieter week with the Lord is something I think we all need And when things get stressful, when things get difficult. Because it's one thing for me to sit up here and tell you that you have a blessed assurance, but the sheep knew it because they were with the shepherd. He won their trust as he cared for them. He won them as he watched over them. Can you imagine being the sheep that got pulled out of lion's jaws by David? Do you think you would stray very far from that shepherd? We need to let him defend us and care for us, get to know his, his, his scent, his voice, the way he is. His sheep will know his voice and they will follow him and he will call them out and they'll be separated from the other flocks. I really think that what God is wanting to encourage us with as a church for this week and for the times ahead is that we would listen to his voice and get called away from other flocks and to be with him. In all things, let's just draw close to him. And let's always remind each other that as we pray with each other and as we talk with each other, who do we belong to? Not affirming the things that are scary and difficult in this world, but reminding one another of the mutual promises and blessings that we have. This is our blessed assurance. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for just an anointed week for everybody in this room that it would be a week that we just decided to just spend a little bit more time with you, that we stuck around you a lot more. God, I pray that it would be a healing time. Lord, I pray it would be an orienting time, that if we've looked and worried about the things around us, that if we've let the, in the same way we let marks and insignias be askewed in revelation, Lord, if we've let hope be askew in our lives, Let us not hope in chariots or wealth. In the systems of man that were set up to protect us. Some hope that we'll get things figured out, but to put a very specific hope instead, that we belong to you. You know us by name and we know your voice lead us, God, and shepherd us. Speak your peace to us this week. Lord, I pray for a blessing of peace over every single one of us in this room, that we would experience to a much deeper and profound level the peace of God, that even in this moment, the greatest hope didn't change. When things were great at the highest, our only hope was Jesus. And now that things aren't at their highest, Lord, the hope remains the same. It is the Lord let us draw close to you and experience the love of, the, of our shepherd, the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit this week. In your name we pray.